And the question is, what is a centurion? I had a good discussion with Luke last week, and um, I had it wrong, but fortunately he corrected me and explained it more clearly. A centurion was over 100 soldiers, which is the equivalent in today's army of somewhere between a captain and a colonel. Most likely we decided that it would be a major, didn't we? We decided to go for a major. Now your rank in, the, um, in your cadets is a corporal, and what is that in, in Latin? Decanus. So he's a decanus in his regiment, which means he's over 10 people, although he has 15 because they're a bit short of corporals. So he has extra duties. Longinus was over 100 soldiers. So that's why it's called a centurion. In cricket, you get a century. When you score 100 runs, PC knows all about that. And also, a century is 100 years. For a centurion, there were over 100 soldiers. Longinus probably left home when he was 16 and joined the army. When he joined the army, he started right at the bottom and he fought his way through many different battlefields till he got to about age 30 and he really wanted promotion. Now, to get promoted, he had to be very brave in battle, which he was. He also had to get letters of appointment from powerful politicians. He got those letters too, so finally he's appointed as a centurion. And this is probably what he looked like. You'll notice the centurion has silver armor, as opposed to the other soldiers which have ordinary armor. You'll notice on his head he's got a red plume, which in battle, if people wanted to know where the centurion was and there was a big fight, they could see the red plume and know there's the boss, he'll help us. You'll see on his chest he has a whole lot of medals for bravery. He holds a spear in his hand and you'll find out why he needed that spear later. And you notice his sword is on the right, not on the left. Ordinary soldiers had them on the left, so it's quick to draw. He had his on the right because he was the boss. He wasn't just an officer that sat in his tent drinking tea and shouting out orders. He was right up at the front, in the front row. There you can see Longinus with his helmet, with a red plume, fighting together with his soldiers. Now he's promoted to centurion. He's on duty in Jerusalem and he's stationed in the castle of Antonia. It's about one or two in the morning and he hears, <laughs> what was that? That is what a Roman trumpet sounds like, for those of you who don't know. And that's what a Roman trumpet looks like. That's the big one called the cornu. It's a big round trumpet like that. The trumpet blasted. The soldiers woke up. He rushed down, put his helmet on, put his armor on, raced down to the bottom. All the soldiers were gathering. The whole cohort, 600 soldiers were gathering for a very important job. They set out in the dark of the night wondering what dangerous foe they were going to come up against. They arrive among the olive trees and they find 11 men at a prayer meeting with their leaders. And they must be thinking, why are we all dressed up with swords and spears to come and address, arrest these people at a prayer meeting? This sounds ridiculous. The leader says to them, who are you looking for? And they said, we are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He calmly says, I'm he. As he said those words, Longinus and his friends feel the superhuman force pushing them, 
pushing them, pushing them backwards until they fell flat on their backs. Well, that's a bit embarrassing for 600 soldiers to be lying on their backs and the 11 people from the prayer meeting watching them saying, what are you going to do now? Well, he gets up, he straightens his helmet, gets his sword back again, and he advances. And again the man says, who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. That's me. Once again, this powerful force pushes them, pushes them back flat on their backs. Straighten their helmets, get up again, and now they charge Jesus. But this one guy, a bit of a stupid guy, who pulls out a little sword. The Greek is for a little sword. He's got his tiny sword, and he charges the soldier, takes a swipe, misses, chops his ear. The ear goes flying to the ground. There's chaos. It's in the dark. Longius is thinking, boy, we're going to have a riot now. The leader stands up and says, Peter! Put up your sword. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. And then he says to Peter, Peter, don't you realize I could ask my father and he would send me 12 legions, which Luke will tell you is 72,000 soldiers, angels from heaven, that will come down. I think these soldiers are thinking, wow, this person has got superpowers. He just speaks a word and we fall flat. And then he says he's got 72,000 paratroopers up in heaven. Paratroopers without parachutes, waiting. And the moment he just gives the word, they will drop like lightning, not like slow paratroopers who come down, and their parachute taking ages. They will be there in a second and wipe us all out. So Longinus is thinking, this guy's quite scary. They arrest him, tie him up, his friends run away, and they drag him off to Caiaphas. He stands in front of Caiaphas and they ask him lots and lots of questions. They interrogate him. And he doesn't answer a word until this high priest called Caiaphas says, Are you the Son of God? Do you know what he says? You said it. I'm the Son of God. And after this you'll see me coming in the clouds of heaven. Caiaphas is so cross, he rips his clothes and says, Blasphemy! What shall we do? And they all said, Kill him! Kill him! Kill him! Now this is a wild kangaroo court. It's just mayhem. So they drag him off because they can't kill him. So they send him to someone who can kill him. His name is Pilate. He's the Roman governor who rules the whole area. He stands before Pilate. They accuse him of all sorts of things. Pilate says six times I find no fault in him I find no fault in him I find no fault in him I find fault in him but they keep insisting and they say take him away crucify him finally he says I don't know what to do so he washes his hands and he says you take him and you crucify him now the soldiers long and included get this horrible whip and they whip Jesus and then they mock him and they put a crown of thorns on his head and a red robe on his shoulders and they put a stick in his hand and they bow down before him and say, Hail, King of the Jews! And then they laugh, ha, 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 take the stick and hit him on the head. And then they bow down again, Hail, King of the Jews! Take the stick, hit him on the head. They are mocking the Son of God. But I wonder if Longinus is thinking, look how peaceful he looks. 
They've whipped him, they've beaten him up, they're mocking him, but he's so peaceful and he doesn't answer back at all. But Longinus has work to do. He's in charge of the execution. He looks around his soldiers and he says, You four, come here. So they come around, Yes, sir, yes, sir, salute, all the stuff they have to do. You go off to the stores and I want you to get the box of nails and the hammer. So he rushes off to get the hammer and the nails. You, you go over to the kitchen and get our food. We've got a busy, long day ahead of us. We're going to get hungry and thirsty. We need food. To the third one, he says, you go and get the piece of wood for the cross, the transverse piece of wood for the cross, because we need a cross to crucify him on. And then to the last one, he says, you go and get that board. It's a wooden board, and on the board is written the crime, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. So they all rush off to do what he tells them to do. And those nails, by the way, are nails that were found by archaeologists, and they are from the time where Jesus lived. So those are, that's what the nails look like. So they drag him off now to be crucified. But now it's a bit tricky. Think of what it is for longiness. This is the road he's got to take Jesus along. It's about a kilometer long. It's a narrow, winding road. Lots of alleys where terrorists can hide and leap out and attack his soldiers. So it's a very dangerous road. And this is shown when it's empty. There are now thousands and thousands of people in Jerusalem. It's holiday time. It's packed with people. This road is going to be lined with people, some of whom are dangerous and could kill his soldiers. Longinus is very stressed. This is a dangerous job he's got to do. <clears throat> so he starts marching up this road. In front is Longinus on his horse to clear a way because the horse is the best way to clear a crowd. So the people part for the horse. Behind him comes the man with the board, like at a boxing match. He walks with the board saying, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, that's why he's dying. Behind him comes Jesus carrying his cross. Now Jesus has been whipped, he's exhausted, he's fainting from loss of blood, but he's got to carry this huge heavy timber on his back. And as he goes along, they realize this is too heavy for him to carry. So Longinus looks around on his horse and he sees someone in the crowd. He says, you, come here. What's your name? Oh, my name's Simon, sir. Where are you from? I'm from Cyrene, which is Libya. And he looks at Simon and he's big and he's strong. He says, you'll do. You carry the cross for him. So there is Simon bending down to help Jesus to pick up the cross. And it says his children were Alexander and Rufus because Simon probably became a Christian. Seeing the way Jesus reacted, he thought, this person is amazing. And once again, Longinus is thinking, the stuff they say about the Son of God, maybe there's something in it, I don't know. So they keep walking, they keep walking until they come to a place called Golgotha. And what does Golgotha mean? Hill of a skull, the place of a skull. It's a really sinister sounding name. So they come to Golgotha, and now for Longinus and the four soldiers working for him, this is an ordinary working day. 
They get the prisoners and they have to lay them on the ground on, the, on a, this cross beam and with ropes they tie their arms and then they get the hammer and nails and nail them, their hands to the cross. It's just a job for them. They don't even think twice about it. And then they take the ropes and they haul Jesus up, pulling him by these ropes up onto the vertical part of the cross and then they tie the two bits together and then they deal with the feet. They've done their work. They sit down at the foot of the cross. You know what they start doing? They start gambling because there are Jesus' clothes. And one is very valuable. It's his robe, which is woven from the top to the bottom without seam. Someone made him a very expensive robe. They didn't want to tear it. So they gambled as to who was going to get this particular robe. And sitting down, they watched him there. And the people walked past. Jesus is crucified in a busy place. It's like near a shopping center. And you imagine a couple shopping and the husband says to the wife, oh, look, there's people going to an execution. Let's go and watch. In those days, people would do that for entertainment. They would go and watch a crucifixion. And as they walked past, they wagged their heads and they said, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Longinus hears this word again, Son of God. What does it mean, Son of God? And the chief priests stand there and say, he saved other people, he can't save himself. Do you see how they're mocking him and teasing him? If he's the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross. He trusted in God that he would deliver him. Let's see if God will deliver him if he really wants him. If you are, the, because he says, I am the son of God. Again and again that word, the son of God, the son of God, the son of God. All these crowds are circling, mocking Jesus. And even the thieves, one on the right hand, one on the left, it says that they cast the same in his teeth. They were mocking him as well. But it's worse than that. Because longiness can't see what's happening in the invisible world. This is to me one of the most amazing paintings of uh, the crucifixion. It's by Salvador Dali. It shows Jesus almost suspended between heaven and earth. And it's, he's like in between these people. And on earth he's surrounded by all these cruel people. But in the invisible world, he's surrounded by Satan and all his forces. Because Satan knows this is the big final battle that they have to face, and he's doing his best to defeat Jesus. So Jesus is in this time of terrible suffering. He's not only taking all our sins on him, but he's also facing up to Satan and all his foes. And why is he doing it? As we explained at communion, God made this world perfect. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit made a perfect world. But one of his angels, Satan, rebelled against him, got one-third of the angels to follow him, and fought against God. He lost the battle and was thrown down to earth. When he was on earth, he went to the Garden of Eden, and who was in the Garden of Eden? What were their names? Adam and Eve, correct. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. And Satan came to tempt them, and they followed Satan, and after that into the world came death, pain, suffering, sadness, separation, fighting, struggling, thanks to Satan. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit said, we can't allow this. So they came up with a plan. And God the Father said, who will I send and who will go for me? And the Son says, here I am, send me. He volunteered for the job of coming down to earth, being born as a baby, growing up as a human, and then in the end dying for all of us. And at the same time defeating Satan, who was giving us all such a hard time. And we read that passage this morning, for as much as the children partake of flesh and blood, he also took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those who through fear of death were all their time subject to bondage. But it's almost as if God the Father just can't look anymore. The Father is watching his son suffering for our sins. I mean, this still amazes me how Father can watch his son suffering for the sins that we did. And it's as if God turns off the lights and there's darkness over all the land from 12 o'clock, middle of the day like this, suddenly this darkness comes over and the whole land is covered with darkness. All those people that were shouting, if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. Suddenly, they shut up. They don't say a word because this powerful darkness has come over the whole earth. And Jesus is alone on the cross fighting this battle with Satan. And he cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then finally he gathers his strength and he cries out, It is finished! Longinus can't believe it. Here's a man who hasn't slept for 36 hours, has been whipped, has been nailed to a cross. He can hardly breathe on the cross. How does he shout out with such incredible power? This is the man that controlled his disciples with such authority when, when that fight happened in the garden. This is the man who suffered, took everything so patiently. When he nailed him to the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that's present continuous tense. Throughout the whole time, Jesus kept saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They know what, not what they're doing. And now he shouts in triumph. This is not the shout of defeat. This is a shout of victory. Jesus is saying, it is finished. The work I came to do is finished. The battle I came to fight is finished. I have defeated Satan. I've defeated all these armies that are swirling around me in the invisible world. I've defeated a lot of them. I've broken his power and I can set the people free and they won't be scared of death anymore. Longinus looks at him and says, certainly this was a righteous man. Truly, this is the Son of God. But as Jesus shouts like that, something else happens. This lonely man shouts so loud and in the darkness, the ground starts to shake. And the people start to fall over. And then they hear this creaking sound as the ground splits open. There's a big earthquake happening and the rocks start to split. Now some of you are thinking, you see the Bible's made up. 
What's this talk about darkness in the middle of the day? What's this talk about rocks splitting open? Do you know that if you look in the history books, it's recorded that there was a darkness over a lot of the world at that particular time. It's a historic fact that there was a time of darkness over the Middle East at that time. And archaeologists in the last few years digging around the Dead Sea have found evidence of an earthquake and they've tracked the date down back to the time of Jesus. So don't laugh when the Bible says these things that sound unreal and can't possibly be true. Science and history both say there was darkness and there was an earthquake. And as the earth split open, saints who died came back to life. And on Easter Sunday, they were walking in the streets of Jerusalem. Longinus looks at all this. He's never seen anything like this. But it doesn't stop there. Inside the temple is a huge curtain. It's taller than this building. It's about seven stories high. And it's not a thin little flimsy curtain like you can tear at home. It is made of many layers. Even the Romans with their huge battering rams would run up to it to try and they couldn't get in. It was so tough that an army with batting rams couldn't break it. But it starts splitting from the top all the way to the bottom. The priests inside the temple are terrified. That is the holy place. That is the place where God is. We're never allowed in there. God is saying, my son has won. He's defeated Satan and I've opened the way into our presence so that people can come and talk to us anytime. Before this happened, people couldn't just talk to God. But since that temple curtain split, any of us can talk to God anytime, any place, anywhere. Longinus sees all this and he falls to his knees and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. He realizes Jesus is not just an ordinary man, he's God. Some people say Jesus is a nice man, Jesus is a good man, Jesus is a kind man. That's not enough. You have to say Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. That's the only way you can be saved. Longinus has to get back to work though. He's now believed in Christ, but he's got one more job to do. He has to confirm that Jesus is really dead. And he takes his big spear and he puts it in Jesus' side. And the, the, the Greek word is plura. We, when we operate on the chest, we go through the plura. And he put the, the spear into Jesus' heart to make sure he was dead. And this is very important because some people say Jesus didn't really die. He like fainted on the cross and then he came around when he was buried. Longinus made quite sure Jesus was really dead so that when he rose again, there's no, no doubt about it. Longinus still has work to do. Jesus is now dead, but they must make sure that he doesn't rise again. So they put him in this tomb and they roll this big stone in front of the tomb and they have soldiers guarding the tomb and they seal the tomb. But on Sunday morning, some very panicked soldiers come running into Longinus and say, Sir, Centurion, bad news. We were guarding the tomb at night and suddenly this paratrooper came down from heaven. This angel in white came down from the sky, landed here, came to this big stone that is so heavy that it takes a whole lot of men to push it and he just 
rolled it back, just like that, so easily. And his face was like lightning, and his clothes were like white as snow. And we big soldiers were so scared, we started to shake, and were scared, and became like dead men. And afterwards we went and looked inside, and he's gone. There's just the clothes lying there, but he's gone. What are we going to do? Longinus, I think, is thinking he is the Son of God. We killed him. I know we killed him. I put a spear through his heart. And three days later, he explodes out of the, the tomb, and he's alive. Grunewald has got a beautiful, beautiful altarpiece which explains, shows exactly what happened. That's Jesus dying on the cross in agony. That's the altarpiece when it's closed. When you open it, it shows this. It shows Jesus, the angel telling Mary she's going to have a baby. It shows Jesus as a baby. And it shows Jesus bursting from the tomb. Most wonderful picture of the resurrection. Can you see that? That's Jesus who was wrapped in all these cloths, round and round and round again. Huge number of, of well, like huge bandages. He just burst out of them. All his wounds were healed except in his hands and his feet and his side to show us that it was Jesus and the soldiers shook like dead men. Longinus knows this is the Son of God. I'm following the right person. But the Pharisees come to him with large money, lots of money, they gave Judas only 30 pieces of silver, but now they're panicking. They say, oh, our plan is foiled. This guy has risen from the dead, just as he said. We better do something about this. We're giving you money. This is the story you must tell. You tell people, the disciples came at night when we were sleeping and stole him away. Now, if they were fast asleep, how did they see the disciples? Can you explain that to me? When you fast asleep and your mother comes into the room, do you see her? No, you don't. You fast asleep. You don't see. So the story is very thin. It's not going to... According to tradition, Longinus and two of his friends refused the bribe. He gave up his armor. He gave up his sword. He gave up his weapons. And he left, became baptized, because when we believe in Christ, he asks us to be baptized. In fact, he commands us to be baptized and then he went off to Cappadocia, far away, and he preached for Jesus. But the high priest sent soldiers to follow him, and his own soldiers came and found him, and he and his two friends were beheaded for their faith. And he today is a statue of him, is regarded as a saint in some churches because of the fact that he Turn to Christ after all this. And the message of longingness applies to us today. Have you ever had an encounter with Jesus where you've realized he is God? He's the Son of God. And he needs to save you and change your life and make you a new person. God's changed longingness. He can change your life. Jesus is the Son of God. He fought the greatest battle on the earth. And today, like Anzac Day, we are celebrating the greatest general who ever lived, the greatest military strategy there ever was, where he devised a plan to save us from Satan.
Let's pray. Our Father, we are staggered when we look at your wonderful plan of salvation. How you sent your Son to die for us, to save us from the power of Satan, from the fear of death. And thank you, Lord, that we no longer need to fear death. We can say, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Through Jesus Christ, we have the victory. Lord, help us to live for him in the light of what he's done for us and in gratitude for all that he's done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.